Testing, one, two. Okay, good morning. We are glad. Uh, I am glad that you are here. Um, and we welcome. I want to make sure that all of you have received a, an outline. If you have not, would you raise your hand? If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Okay. Well, for those of you who are visiting with us this morning, and this is your first time, my name is Samuel Clintock. I'm a pastor here at Park Hills. And uh, today is an unusual format, a first-time format. Uh, we're beginning an experiment in which all Sunday school classes gather to study a particular uh, topic together. Now, I, I call this forum Congregational Lectures, and I plan to be able to do a few of these throughout the year. Why do we do this format and not do small groups? Well, uh, because it gives us a chance to study and discuss some topics in a way that sermons don't allow us to. So we can engage and interact in some questions and some dialogue as well. Um, also, the presentation of the material allows us uh, for, question, for, um, for an in-depth uh, study of some verses, some passage of Scripture. And um, also, I do want us to have uh, the ability to ask questions. And if you have questions, raise your hand. And there's going to be a mic. We want to make sure that all the questions are, uh, are mic'd. Uh, we are also recording this session. <clears throat> so we want to make sure that everything gets recorded and nothing gets lost. Um, again, those of you who came in late, make sure you received a, an outline. Who needs an outline? Okay. Well, let's begin this time with a word of prayer, and, uh, and then we'll jump in our study. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the chance you give us to gather and to study your word uh, in depth. Lord, we pray that as we open the scriptures, as we examine it, as we ask questions, as we dialogue, and as we seek to understand the meaning of your revelation, uh, that we would learn how to do that better this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would learn how to do that as a congregation and as a body of Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, so again, I just want to break the ice and say, feel free to ask questions, and I'll be uh, stopping in, at, at some sections in the study and asking you some questions or allow for questions to be asked. Um, let me begin our study with the following question. And you don't have to answer it out loud. But if you have a pen and paper uh, or a pen, and, uh, you can actually circle some of these things on the handout. But here's a question. How important is the role of the local church for your view of Christianity? How important is the role of the local church for your view of Christianity? And I ask you, if you have a pen, take a few moments and circle one of the three options that is on the handout. Here's another way to ask that question. How important is the role of the local church in your discipleship to Christ or in being a follower of Christ? Take a few moments, reflect. If you have a pencil or pen, circle it. If you don't, make up your mind. Just sort of say, okay, first, second, or third. Now let me clarify, as you're thinking about that uh, and answering that, let me clarify what we mean uh, or what I mean by... Um, by the local church. I'm not, we're not interested just 
about in, in having a membership record, um, but about an actual involvement in the local church. So it, we're not simply saying, do you have your membership somewhere? We're asking, how important is your involvement in the local church? Well, assuming that you were able to make up your mind between those three options, uh, let me share with you some occasional impressions that I hear from Christians. Uh, I hear uh, comments like, um, well, he doesn't agree with organized religion, but I know he's saved. Or, he's not going to church, but I know they're Christian. Or, I don't go to church, but I go to a Bible study, and that's really my church. Here's a quote from Joshua Harris, um, an author, a pastor out of uh, Virginia, that wrote a book um, entitled Stop Dating the Church. Here's his experience with the church life. Uh, When I graduated, and by the way, I have this quote in your handout, so if you want to follow it, it's, it's there. When I graduated from my church's high school group, or high school youth group, I started visiting around. I loved God and had big dreams for how I wanted to serve Him. But I didn't see any reason to get too involved in one church. By then, I thought I knew all there was to know about church, and I wasn't impressed. Most churches struck me as out of date and out of touch. There had to be better, more efficient ways to accomplish great things for God. Interesting. And I don't know where you fall in, in this impression, uh, in which categories, if, if this resembles you, but let me, let me go through some reasons why, uh, why people might be inclined to have this attitude. Uh, again, you might find yourself inclined towards this attitude, or you might find others or you know others who have this attitude. And the question for us is, how do we respond to them? What should we say to them? How should we guide them? Um, Now, let me make this important clarification. Just because someone is going to church doesn't mean he or she is saved. I think that is a foundational truth. Um, And this is a lesson that we learn from church history. Just because someone has their membership in a particular church does not mean that they're saved. Yet, does this mean that the local church involvement is not important? Or here's another way to ask it. Can you substitute your involvement with a church for other community involvements? Say, okay, I don't don't go to any particular church, but I'm, I'm very involved in the community. And I think that's fine. I think God is fine with that. Can, you, can we really substitute those? Uh, here's some reasons, uh, or some of the reasons for such attitudes uh, towards a local church. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to give five. First, indifference. Uh, some are indifferent to church membership. They are neither excited about it um, nor negative towards the church. They just don't care. And, and the whole notion of church doesn't score very high uh, in their view. So it's indifference. Um, Another one uh, is ignorance. And by the way, I'm going to ask you if you can find find out some other reasons besides these five. 
So think about it, okay? Um, another reason is ignorance. Uh, some people are just uninformed about the importance of the church and the local church in, in, in a specific way. Uh, they never consider the biblical view of the local church. So un uh, ignorance. Uh, number three, the indecisiveness. There are some Christians who simply can't make up their minds about joining. Uh, they're the kind of people that have a hard time deciding about anything. So they're always on the fence on most issues in their life. So indecisiveness. Um, number four, independence. There are some Christians who like to be Lone Ranger Christians. Um, they don't want to be strapped down and committed to a local church. Uh, they don't want to be held accountable. They just want to enjoy the services, and they want to have the freedom to come when they want to. And no one would ask them where they were if they choose not to come. They, they want to be independent. Uh, here's another reason, the fifth reason that, that I found. Uh, inverted affections. Inverted affections. Now, what are these? There are some Christians who would not join a local church because their affections are somewhere else. And they're not towards the world. They're not because it's in, they're independent or indecisive or ignorant or indifferent. No, they really have a very high view of the local church, but they have such a strong attachment to their home church in their hometown where they used to live that they want to keep their membership in that home church. It's like if they give up that membership in that home church, in their hometown where they grew up in, it's like they feel something is breaking away. So they will never join another church in a new city they go to. And it's, it's, it sounds a little more godly, I would say. You know, I mean, they are, they're, they're very committed to the local church, but they want to keep their membership in their home church. Um, and here's another one. And I, folks, I actually heard people that have their membership here in this church tell us why they haven't joined other churches uh, in other cities um, they said because they haven't found another church like their home church. They haven't found another church like Park Hills. So they're not going to join anywhere else. No, we need to tell them if you moved physically, geographically, you need to find another church. You need to join that church. You need to be committed to that church. So again, these are five reasons uh, that, that I, I thought of. Um, any other reasons that you can think of why people might have misguided affections or misguided reasons. Let's have a mic. Um, Dan will be our, our mic person, so yeah. Thank you, Dan. Uh, inimical, to go with your I word. Inimical. Inimical. Well, how, what do you mean by that? That's antagonistic, adverse. Okay. People who do not like the local church. That's, and that's a great one. People who are actually, yeah. Hurt or upset or... Yes. They're angry at the local church. Yes. Other reasons. And you may have heard these in your conversations with other people. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Hold on. Hold, hold it for the mic. And if you, if you have other reasons, keep your hand up so we know. I think of the people who say they just they can worship somewhere else, like out on the lake. Okay. Yes. That's a great hobbies. one. Their hobbies get in the way. Yes. They, they are these nat naturists, natural scientists kind of. They say yeah, they do better in, 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 in out in the country or out in nature than ever in a church. I think um, just being scared to go. Being scared to go. Showing up is half the battle. So. 
Yes, that's a very good one. Yes. Another one here. Hold on. Hold on. We want, we want to make sure that everybody hears it. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've heard uh, a few people say they don't go to church because there's too many hypocrites. Yes, I mean, too many hypocrites. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and there could be other reasons. Um, again, the introduction question uh, that with which we began the study, how important is the role of the local church for your Christianity? Now, I realized this morning that I might be preaching to the choir um, because attending a Sunday school class, uh, I realized that you guys are the most committed Christians. I mean, people these days, uh, they don't go to Sunday school unless they're very committed. So I realized that I might be preaching to the choir. However, I'm convinced that either you have people in your life right now that you can think of, that you know, that have misguided views of their relationship um, to the local church. And they could be either a neighbor, a friend, um, or a family member. And I want to equip you, and I want us to equip ourselves how to respond to them. Um, and if you yourself find yourself uh, holding to these misguided views, I hope that we would actually correct those um, today and have an opportunity to see what Scripture has to say about it. So, how do we think about the relationship between the role of the local church and your Christian life? First of all, um, we cannot answer the question without making sure of two big things. Understand what a Christian is. Understand what a Christian is. Um, Think of it for a moment. If you were to explain to someone, to yourself, what a Christian is, how would you do that in your mind? Just think of it for a few moments. Well, two things, I think, in any of our definitions, two major things have to be present. Number one, a Christian is... A person who has been reconciled with God. We're going to look at two uh, passages in Romans 3.24 and Ephesians 2.16. Uh, but a Christian is a person who understands that being declared righteous before God can only be done on the basis of Christ's sacrifice in our place. Is there something we, I can do to about this? Oh, change of, change of plans. So as, we, as I change it, look at Romans 3.24 and Ephesians Testing, testing. Okay. Thank you, Dan. 
So what can we say about what a Christian is based on Romans um, 3.24 and Ephesians 2.16? Notice Romans 3.24. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 2.16, it says, In this one body, uh, he reconciled both of them to God through the cross. So when we talk about what what a Christian is, we have to understand that a Christian stands in a relationship of reconciliation to God. Christ paid our moral debt. He satisfied the holy requirements of God's justice, and he removed God's wrath against us. So faith in Christ brings the freedom to turn away from sin and idols in order to love God and be in fellowship with him and to be reconciled to God. So the first thing we would have to say about what a Christian is, a Christian is someone who has been reconciled to God. But if we keep looking at in, in, the, in Ephesians 2, uh, in that passage, uh, we realize there's a second part that happens as we're reconciled to God. Um, being reconciled to God means that we are reconciled with everyone else who is reconciled to God. Here's Ephesians 2, uh, we're starting from verse 14 to 16. For he himself, referring to Christ, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Now he's talking here about Greeks or Gentiles and, and Jews. Um, to make one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to them and to God. So actually, the notion of being reconciled to God has an automatic implication. It's automatic. If you're reconciled to God, you're reconciled to everyone else that God reconciles. Any, any questions? Isn't it interesting why Jesus even says, what is the greatest commandment? To love God with all your strength, might, soul, uh, and mind, and to love your and somebody else. The two go together. You can't just be reconciled to God without being reconciled to the people that God has reconciled. That is an absolute essential of what a Christian is. Um, so to experience Christ as making, uh, making peace between us and God means that he's making peace between us and other Christians. And the community of people who are reconciled to God is called the church. Look at, again, Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 21. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with the God's people. Consequently. There is, this is not a, a second step along the way. No, this is part of the same picture. And members of God's household build on the foundation of, of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Now, all these analogies that we see here in Ephesians 2 uh, point to the impossibility of taking or talking uh, about the Lone Ranger Christians or taking an attitude of independent Christians. Now, I know we have independent Baptists, um, there is no such thing as independent Christians in the Bible. Um, 
A Christian is any person who is in a new relationship to God and, and we want to underscore that, and to other fellow Christians. Therefore, we cannot talk about what a Christian is without talking about the church. Any questions, comments? Raise your hand. Let me repeat that. We, because of these connections and the strong, strong connection that we see in Ephesians 2 between being reconciled to Christ and to those Christ reconciled, we cannot talk about what a Christian is without talking about the community of Christians, the church. And I know this is a bold statement. Now here's a, if there's no questions, I'll move forward. The second uh, thing we have to realize uh, and think through is if we want to ask or answer the question, what is the role between the church uh, or the role of, a ch of the church in your Christian life, uh, the second question we have to consider is what a local church is. So what a Christian is. Second, what a local church is. Um, first of all, a church is not a building. We all agree with that? It's an assembly. By the way, those of you who have been in our services now for a while, uh, you may have realized how I greet people on Sunday mornings. I don't say welcome to Park Hills Baptist Church. I say welcome to the public gathering of Park Hills Baptist Church. The church is the people. We are the church even when we're not gathered. But one of the things that, that, sort of, that, that encapsulates, symbolizes what we are as a group of people is the fact that we do gather at least once a week. So we, it's an assembly. We don't, care, we don't take care of the church, of the building. I mean, we do some of that because we need to, but really the church is you, is we together, assembled. Um, now the Greek word for the church is the word ekklesia, which simply means assembly or gathering. Um, now, while many agree in theory with all that we said above, and I, they would agree even with, a, with what a Christian is, with the two dimensions of what a Christian is, some may still have a hard time realizing why the local church is, the, is crucial in the life of a Christian. Um, they feel that as long as a person belongs to the universal church, they're safe. Uh, and this might be caused, this idea might be caused by a false view of the universal church. And I want to talk to you about the the distinction between and the relationship between the universal church and the local church. First of all, in the Bible, whenever we see the word church, with only very, 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 very few exceptions, a few in the book of Ephesians and once in the book of Acts, it always refers to local churches. Let me give you three evidences for for this importance that the entire Bible, New Testament especially, puts on the manifestation of the local churches. First of all, in the Bible we have all kinds of commands that Christians are given that say, do this to one another. Love one another. Let's look at a few. Let's look at Ephesians 5.21. Paul says, again, we're in the book of Ephesians because... The book of Ephesians in the New Testament is the book on the church. Here's what Paul says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
That's talking to us, to Christians, or to any Christian. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Now, if Paul is assuming a universal church idea, is it really possible for all Christians to submit to others who live in different ages than them? Can we submit to the Christians who, who lived 300 years ago? Can you submit to Christians who are coming after us in another year or another 200 years from now if the Lord doesn't come? No, you can't. They're not even born. Can you submit to Christians who are in Africa? Can you submit to Christians who live in Vancouver, Canada? Can you submit to Christians who live um, in Georgetown? I know that's across the border. Uh, can you submit to them? No. So, so to who is this command given, and how is it concretely possible submit to one another out of reverence to Christ? Is it just whoever I bump into? Not really. The only way you can do this is in the context of an of a actual community where you know who you're living with. Who, you, who are you living life with? Um, yes, hold on, let's, if you have a question, just raise your hand. Thank you. What does submit mean in that term? Submit, um, in the Greek, it just means submit. I, I'm, 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 I'm ironic here. Uh, I, it simply means um, put yourself under the authority of others. Now, I know, by the, I know this is a, uh, an unusual language of thinking about church. Submission to church? Whoa. But it does simply say, so put yourself under the authority of others. Yes, Larry. Isn't the authority of others in the knowledge that... Hold on, get, let's get the mic. Yes. And what, you know what, let, let... Yes. That's right. And actually, let, let, I don't want to get sidetracked in that comment of, of authority yet. Uh, let's, okay, how about if we move to an example where it talks about love? Would you like that? Is that better? <laughs> let's move to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Yes. They ha yes. They have the same. Let's go, let's go to Hebrews 10 and see what Hebrews 10, 24 says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Notice again, how we may encourage one another to love and good deeds. Now again, can I, can I do that with Christians who live 200 years ago? No. Or Christians who live in, in, in Africa. I'm, I may write books. I may, but I can't really encourage others. And actually in Hebrews 10, 24, if we read verse 25, it's clearly given in the context of an assembly. Look at what verse 24 says. Um, according to, um, do not give up. Let me open, actually I didn't put it in. Do not give up the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another until the day, uh, as we see the day approaching. So the whole notion of, of one another, of encouraging one another to love and good deeds, is clearly in the context of an actual gathering of people. Um, now, all these analogies 
Sorry, hold that up. Um, this means that um, not only the commands to submit or to love, but all the other commands of one another assumes this notion that we live with a certain category of people. So that's the first evidence that I think in Scripture, in the New Testament, all the commands for the church and Christians assume a, a concrete body of people with whom you can actually do these one another commands. The second type of evidence uh, comes from passages that describe the responsibilities of church members and their leaders to each other. Um, would you open scripture to Hebrews 13, verse 17? Here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now let me start with a member's perspective first. Um, to whom are Christians supposed to submit? To, who, to which leaders are they supposed to submit? To all Christian leaders of America? To the televangelists? No. Are you called to submit to uh, Pastor Ryan Rush at Bannockburn? No, he, he's not your pastor. To who are you called to submit? In the same venue, taking it from the leader's perspective, when a pastor is in, in Hebrews is telling us that each pastor, every leader is going to give an account for the people they shepherd. So who will I as a pastor give an account for before the Lord? Every Christian in America? No. Every Christian in Austin? No. Christians at Bannockburn? No. But I will give an account for Christians who are part of this flock, of this congregation. Um, and that's why it's very important for us to know to who the relationship between members and their leaders, both for members and for leaders, it's impossible to fulfill their relationships to one another if there are no clear boundaries and clarity on where do I belong? So the notion of lone rangers just makes that impossible. A third evidence of the importance of actual local congregations and not just a fuzzy idea about the universal church is um, the reality or the responsibility of the church to do church discipline. And let's look at a few passages. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 12 to 13. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to a church that was going through some trouble and there was unrepentant sin in the congregation. And here's what Paul writes. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked men from among you. Notice, are you not to judge those inside? Now, who are those inside? It's an actual group of people. It's not just, well, all Christians all over. I, I don't have that authority. <laughs> I can't. 
I don't know what's happening with Christians in Africa. I don't know what's happening with Christians across the river in other churches because I don't mingle with them. I don't gather with them. I don't see their life. So who are, who are we supposed to judge? Those who are inside or those who are in a gathering of believers? Now, if that, that's not clear enough, let's look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17. This is an example of unrepentant sin again. And uh, the, Jesus, this is the very words of Jesus. If you have a, a, a Bible with red font, red color, um, these words are in red, which means the very words of Jesus. Um, Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen... Take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Here's a question, and there's many questions in this passage. I'm just going to focus on one. Who, assuming that there's an unrepentant sin and after multiple attempts there's just unrepentant and the, based on based on this passage the, the final court of appeal is the church the, the, the church is the final place where you would take this unrepentant sin and if a person doesn't respond even to this to the admonishment of the whole church to repent then treat him as a tax collector now here's a question who are who is the church to which we have to go and bring this unrepentance into? Is it all Christians in the whole world? The local church. Are we supposed to go around and tell Christians in other churches what's happening with this guy? No, they can't do anything about it. You're supposed to tell it to the local church, to an, to an actual body of believers who know that person, who, who watch over that person, who encourage that person, who disciple that person, and who might pray for that person very specifically. Church discipline doesn't make sense if you don't know who, who's in, who's, who's the church. And here's another one, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. And this actually goes back to the situation in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, most people, most commentators think that this is talking about the guy who was disciplined in chapter 5 in 1 Corinthians, and now that person has repented. And here's what Paul says. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Notice there the majority. First of all, just the notion of majority assumes that you know what's the total of that community. Assumes there's, there's an idea, an actual boundary, who's in and who's out. How do you know when you have a majority if you have... 50 votes. Well, if the, if the community is 10,000, that is not majority. So inherent is the notion of you know who, who's doing the, the voting or the, the casting of judgment. Any, any questions? So what I'm saying is these three reasons, uh, these three reasons are evidence that in the New Testament, when we see the notion of a church, almost exclusive, with only very, very few exceptions. It is talking about actual congregations. 
Any comments or questions? Hold, hold for the mic. Can you read verse 7? Of, okay, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Only the local church can do that. Comfort. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, who's supposed to comfort a person who has repented of their sin? And who? The local church. That's a great. Th thank you, Sam, for that observation. Yes. Any comments, questions? Yes. Hold the mic. I, I think that God placed us in smaller groups to give us different gifts. Yes. So each small church has a personality. Yes. And so we must choose which small church to be placed in. And yes. So we must pray where to be placed. Amen. Amen. That's right on. Thank you, Lena. Every, every body of believers has a, person, a, a type of personality and struggles and things that characterize them. You want to see that in uh, the book of Revelation, the seven churches, is a wonderful example of how different churches were, were going through different things, different challenges and different victories, and, and the Lord talks about them in, in different ways. Uh, thank you. And actually, this is a great segue. My gift may be encouragement so the Lord may need an encourager. Yes. Yeah. So, find your gift and ask the Lord where to place you. That's a, that's a great, that's another argument I would add, what you're saying, Lena. The fact that the Lord has given each of us different gifts. Well, how are you going to exercise your gift, let's say if it's encouragement, um, if you're not regularly with a group of people where you are exercising that gift? And they grow because of that. Yes. And this le leads to, to the next point, of the final point. Should Christians join churches? I think this is what Lena has you're already um, introduced us towards that. Let me, before we go there, let me say the following. Based on what we have said so far on what a, local, on what a church is, um, the church, I want to say the following. The church is primarily a regular assembly of people who profess and give evidence that they have been saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. But I'm emphasizing it's primarily a regular assembly of people. The universal church is not gathering anywhere. Yet. That's the key. Yet. The universal church will gather in heaven. And that's our hope. And that's what we look forward to. But until then, God is giving us like, like a microcosm of that experience here on earth by the gathering of the saints every week. Yes. Some people would say, well, I am up. I heard somebody say, um, you know, pastor, I, I want to I sing in, in, in the choir. I said, well, are you a member of the church? And the person says, no, um, but I am a member of the universal church. And the pastor says, well, then go sing in the choir of the universal church. 
You can't think about being just a member of the universal church without being a part of, that manif of the manifestation of the universal church, which happens only in local churches. Okay? So let's move on. Why should Christians join churches? Again, all over the New Testament, the assumption is that to be a Christian means to be joined to other Christians and to be joined to Christ. The two things happen together. Uh, so remember the three options we began with at the beginning of the study? How do you see the role of the local church in your Christianity? Is it optional? Is it helpful but not essential? Uh, is it crucial? Being a member of the church, of a church, is, a not, is not an optional part for the Christian life. So if you circle that first option, I want to encourage you to consider, I'm gently encouraging you, but firmly as well, that is not the right answer. It's not an optional way. Second, it's not even a helpful, but, but not essential way either. Even though you might find it helpful, to say that it's not essential, according to Scripture, is, is not in line with what Scripture tells us. Now, membership in a church is not a voluntary association. Let me, let me say that again. V membership in a church is not a voluntary association. Now, I know some of you are like, hold on. I thought I was the one who made the decision to join this church or, you know, other churches that I've been a part of. Well, yeah, you make the decision, but if you are a Christian, that's not a voluntary decision. Now, if you, from a non-Christian perspective, from the world's perspective, joining a church is a voluntary decision. You choose whether or not you want to follow Christ, whether you want to be a part of, of, of the church. But once you make the decision to follow Christ or to join Christ, joining a church is not a decision you can make. It's not an option that you can waver and see if it's helpful for you. It is a mandatory aspect of the Christian life. It's crucial. It's essential to the Christian life. Um, once you choose Christ, you choose his people too. That's why I'm, a Christ-centered life leads to a church-centered life. A Christ-centered life leads to a church-centered life. Now, what do you do with people who um, never get along with other Christians? I know you're not those kind of people because you're here. Uh, so I know that. Uh, that's why you're here. You get along with us, with each other. But what do you do with those others who don't get along? What, what do you tell them? What do you tell the guy who says, uh, I am against organized religion, but I am for Christ? What do you tell them? Now, I understand that some people may have that reaction because they have experienced hurt and they have been hurt by, by other people who call themselves Christians. And we need to help people um, deal with their relational challenges. I think it's very critical. We need to help them deal with that. Yet Scripture clearly teaches that our relationship with other Christians does at least three things for us. Our relationship with other Christians does at least three things for us. First, it is a test of the genuineness of our faith. It's a test of the genuineness of our faith. The entire letter of 1 John is full of tests of genuine faith. If you want to see if your faith is really true or not, read 1 John. You'll find a number of tests. One of them um, is the test of relationships. And I want to encourage you to open to 1 John 1, 6, and 7, and then chapter 5, verse 1. 
First John. It's, it's the last book of the Bible before Revelation. I mean, the, the, the last few books of the Bible. Here's what First John 1, 6, 7 says. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet we walk in, in the darkness, we lie. And we do not live the truth. So that's the first test. If you claim to be a Christian, but you walk in darkness, you're not a Christian. Notice what it says next. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. And I, I wanted to, I, my expectation is we have fellowship with God. But is that what it says? It says we have fellowship with one another. When our, when our faith is genuine, which is tested or shown by the fact that we walk in the light, the byproduct of that is that we have fellowship with other Christians. So the test of, of our relationships is actually proving whether or not we are walking in the light. Here's another one, and, and if you move a few pages, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, the, the author says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. So we cannot choose God only and not his children. That is not a choice we can make. It comes in a package. Um, so based on, on this idea, what, what, does a, uh, what, does, what do relationships with other Christians do for our Christian life? it actually is a test of the genuineness of our faith. Second, it is a proof of our love for other Christians. In John 13, 34, and 35, the Apostle John says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now here's a question, an application question. When a Christian refuses to join, uh, to live, in a community with other Christians, can he really say that he loves other Christians? In what way? Oh, I love them, but I don't want to be around them too much, too often. Once a year is enough. Is that real love? Do you, can you really love them? And here's the other one. It does say, love one another. In what context can they love you back? It only makes sense when you work with the notion of a local church. Hold on, let's wait for the mic. One of the things about going to church is learning from others. Yes. And, how, and as, uh, receiving the grace of God, you have to understand the, the Bible, and you go to church to learn as much as you can about the Bible. Yes. There are people who... Uh, who they don't go to church, they don't know the Bible. Yeah. They're, you know, now, that's some why say, I come to church and listen to you preach because that every time you do that, it helps me learn more and more about the Bible and God's will. True. And, and Richard, here, but here's how I could see somebody respond to that. Oh, yeah, but I listen to sermons on TV and online and on the radio, so I'm fed spiritually. I read my Bible on my own. Well, here's, here's another one. I go to, to, uh, to a, a, a Bible study. And that's my church. So I go to a particular community, and, and that's my church. It might be a Sunday school. It might be a you know, CBS. It might be a BF, BFM, or I'm not sure how, what you call them. Um, the point is, if you're not willing to commit to a group of people who 
who are who are purposefully doing things like baptism and the Lord's Supper and 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 all those things that our church is doing that usually a Bible study doesn't do. If you're not willing to do that, in what way can you say I love Christians? So uh, you're right. When we are together, we learn from each other uh, more than I, I learn just from hearing somebody teach or preach. I, I see Christ in other people, and that's very helpful. That's very needed. So, but what, what the second reason that that I think a relationship with other Christians is doing for us is that it's a proof of our love to other Christians. And a third sign, a third uh, thing that it does for us, it is a sign of our submission to other Christians. Remember the verse in, in Ephesians uh, 5.21, submit to one another out of reference to Christ? The question is, to which group of Christians should you submit? When a Christian is not plugged into a local church, he has no one to submit to. The very act of not joining a church is a sign of not being willing to submit to other Christians. Now, there's so many other ways. Just because you join a church doesn't mean you submit to them. Uh, you can be, uh, you know, still have an independent attitude and, and, you know, mind your own business and, and not think through, through what Paul says in Philippians, um, be of the same purpose, of the same mind. So I think you can be, have your membership in a church without really uh, submitting to them. But when people say, I don't want to join a church, well, are you saying that you're, you do not want to submit to them? Say, well, I don't like that church. Well, go to a church that you can submit to. And, and, and I encourage you, if, if, you are, if you are um, still thinking through churches and attending and, and trying to find out what the place is for you, find one particular church and join them. Submit to them. Conclusions. We have to bring others to Yes, the church is a place where we bring others to Christ as well. Absolutely. My hope from this study is that we would establish the relationship between an individual Christian and a local church according to how Scripture sees that relationship. It is not an optional relationship. It is not just a helpful but not essential relationship. It is a crucial relationship. Um, it's a relationship of love and submission to one another. That relationship is also given, is also a God-given means to examine the genuineness of our faith. So, is church membership important? Yes. I, I'm, I'm hearing unsure tone in your answer. You know, your, your face expression and your tone of voice may say more than your words do. Is church membership important based on what we have seen this morning? Yes. Yeah. It is. Now, I'm not talking just about the re membership record. I'm talking about actual participation in a community of Christians. Should you keep your membership in a church that you cannot attend? As sweet and loving that home church is, we need to encourage those who are not able to attend, whether because of physical barriers uh, or, you know, job, move away or whatever, Find a church where you are and join it. Submit to them. My hope and prayer is that we discover the beauty of the local church and of the gathering of the saints. My, my hope and prayer is that we discover the beauty of the local church and of the gathering of the saints. And I want to close with a quote 
from a, a, a pastor, a Lutheran pastor who lived uh, during the Nazi regime in Germany under, under Hitler's regime. Uh, I actually, I thought this quote was so powerful, uh, it moved my heart this week that it's in the bulletin. You can actually look at the bulletin as well. Here's what this Lutheran pastor, how he talked about uh, the, the, the beauty of the church, of the local congregation. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered, lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitude to the house of God, with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Therefore, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. And this is a man who uh, was imprisoned and eventually died uh, because of his faith, but he was physically removed from being able to have fellowship with other Christians. So my prayer and joy and, and hope is that we would, we would find and rediscover, based on scriptural evidence, um, the joy and the beauty of the congregation, of the local church. And as you talk to those who are are having this misguided views about the Bible, I hope that you can point them to the major two facts, what a Christian is, what a local church is, and then think through the, the three reasons why uh, Scripture encourages us to join uh, other believers. Any final questions or comments? One, can we have the mic here? As a member, one of the most important things that I feel in my church is that I can pray for my fellow Christians. Yes. And they can pray for me. Yes. That's so important. Yes. And show my love for them. And, and I encourage all of you, and Peggy, thank you for bringing that. Take the, the church directory, look through the names, the pictures that we have there, and pray for people who are in this body of believers. You know what's going on in their lives, and if you don't find out, they're available. Usually they're here. Find out and pray for them. That's a great point. Thank you. Well, it is, yes, final question from Jerry. Uh, yes. Ho hold on, because we're going to record it anyway, so we want to make sure we get all the comments. So be, be careful what you say. I think one problem that a lot of people have with the word submission yeah is that you a church could use submission in a legalistic sense yeah. to bring people into line uh. with the way the leadership wants to go even if the church body may think that's not the right way okay i'm not bringing this up because yeah. that's what's happening in this church yeah I've seen it happen in other churches. Good, yeah. Uh, and, and my comment is submission works both ways. Mm -hmm. uh, my thought is 
or at the, the preacher is the spiritual leader of the church. Mm. And then you have deacons mm -hmm. below that. Mm -hmm. And then you have everybody else. Mm -hmm. But submission works both ways. Mm -hmm. Jerry, thank you for that comment. I think it's very helpful for us to realize. One of the things that I will be thinking about addressing in the next, next time we do a forum like this is to actually work through the issues of, of, of authority and submission in the church. Uh, God, leaders, congregation, and we'll work through their different models in the history of the church. So I think it's very helpful. Thank you for that. I would, uh, it does say, you know, submit to one another. Uh, and uh, but, and I, I think you're absolutely right, Jerry, that people refuse the idea of submission altogether for whatever reasons. So um, we do need to, ultimately we are to submit to God uh, and to his word and the standards of his word. Consider others higher than yourself. Why would I not want to submit to you? If I'm a Christian, I want to do what's yeah. right. Yeah. Why yeah. would I not want to submit to the leaders of the church? No. And, and I would say that's a point is however we're going to think through those relationships, and I think Scripture has something to say, and I'll address it in, in one of the next forums because I think it's an important aspect. Um, with that in mind, I did want to make sure we close in time, and uh, let's, let's close in a word of prayer. And if you have other questions, comments, I would love to hear them and in consider them as we prepare other lectures of this, of this uh, format. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you designed the church to be a display of your wisdom and of your grace. Father, we thank you that you have allowed the church to be the place where you grow us, the place that is a safe haven for us where we can actually test and see if what we proclaim to be is actually true. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the, the uh, resources that the church is for each of us individually. It is a place where we grow. It's a place where we are encouraged and comforted. It's a place that, that is keeping us accountable, and it's a place that uh, we feel we're part of the body of Christ. Father, we pray that each one of us here, we learn uh, the beauty of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, of the local church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, you may go and enjoy fellowship and coffee and donuts in the foyer, and we'll be back at uh, 11. You want to hang on to that one for the service? So much better. <laughs>